and welcome to The Expressionist, the podcast in which I, Olivia Rosenman, and I, Helen Rydstrand, take a deep dive into the meaning, origin and history of expressions. Today on the show, we are zooming in on our noggins, asking how the hell the bees got into our bonnet in the first place. We may have to put our thinking caps on to find out. So let's begin. So Olivia, I have a bee in my bonnet about something. Tell me, Helen. There are a few in there, to be sure, I suppose. But today, it is actually about the idiom, you may have guessed it, to have bees in your bonnet itself. Have you ever heard the variant bees in the head or bees in the brain? No, I haven't, in fact. Sounds painful and loud. does sound loud, a bit, you know, distracting. Mm. It's a much more visceral version, I think, and quite uncomfortable sounding, like zzzz. Um, But I think that there's something in that, the etymology of the word bee itself, which has a common Germanic origin possibly Aryan root B, which means to fear um, in the sense of quivering, um, and then its development, buzzing, humming. So it's actually this kind of um, vibrating sensation in your mind, I guess, is the way I'm thinking about this. Oh, gosh, it sounds terrifying. I mean, it sounds possibly terrifying. It sounds like it would keep you up at night. Very, very unsettling. Yeah, for sure. You might not be able to think about anything else. That's right. Exactly. It it might really be the focus of your attention. That's for sure. Did you also know that you could, in the past, I don't think people say this anymore, you could have maggots in the brain? You mean like literally? Because maggots grow anywhere. I'm sure you could. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes, you could definitely have maggots in the brain. I'm sure people out there have been unlucky enough. Uh, no, but I mean, that was a phrase. That's oh. a version of this phrase. Never heard that before either. Yeah. So apparently that is a kind of more full on version. So there's something, I guess, being eaten away. You're missing parts of your brain. It's extraordinary. But I didn't actually say what it means. Do you know what it means? Yeah. I mean, I think I do. So to have a bee in your bonnet means to have a fixation on something that is perhaps irritating or uh, or consuming Mm. and you can't think about anything else. Yeah. I mean, that's roughly it. There's kind of a couple of different versions of this and it's interesting in terms of the way that we think about, I suppose, what's normal patterns of thought and, and patterns of being interested and what starts to be abnormal. So it can mean to have an obsessive preoccupation with something, which is what you're saying. Um, And apparently it could also be used to refer to someone who's regarded as crazy or eccentric. So there's like, you know, if it's habitual, then you're a person with a bee in your bonnet, you know, as a a standard thing. I feel like that obsessive, just coming back to the first meaning, I feel Mm. like that obsessive preoccupation is often a negative one. It's a preoccupation with something that you don't like or don't agree with. Yeah, that's true. So, you, you, yeah, you've got a problem with something. That's that's definitely the case. I think that's generally how people use it. But sometimes maybe you've got to be in your bonnet and it's like a good idea that you really want to chase down. Much like perhaps, uh, you know, the beginning of this podcast. You've been in your bonnet about having a podcast about idioms. Mm. Yeah. So you could put, put it that way. Um, so the That ox- bee has flown the coop. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great metaphor, Olivia. <laughs> You're really getting good at this game. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Oxford English Dictionary says something a little bit lighter than both of these, I think. Um, it can be a fantasy or an eccentric whim. So that's what I was just describing. You know, to create a podcast about idioms is perhaps an eccentric whim. Um, a craze on some point. Wait, do you still want to be a part of the podcast? <laughs> no, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy in this bonnet. Okay. <laughs> You're getting muddled up here. Okay. But they also say that it can be equivalent to having a screw loose to have a bee in your bonnet, which, of course, is related to having ruse loose, which, if you not know that phrase, you can listen to our first episode where we talk about that. 
Yes, go back and listen. By the way, did I mention to you my uncle saying that he always uses kangaroo loose in the top paddock because he feels that the K sound is inherently funnier? Wow. Isn't that interesting? Weird. Yeah. I mean, can certain sounds actually be inherently funny? I'm sure that there is linguistics work out there on this, Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe that's a topic for another day. So, Helen, I don't own any bonnets. Do you have any bonnets? No, I don't think I've ever had a bonnet. No, don't think even my mum, maybe my mum's mum. I guess the point I'm trying to make here, Helen, is that bonnets are quite ye oldie timey. So is this an old expression? Yes, it is a pretty old one. So the idea comes into English via Middle Scots, i.e. the language of Scotland, in Douglas's 1553 or 1513, depending who you talk to, translation of Virgil's Aeneid. Um, Shall I try and say the example sentence? Yes, yes, you should. (laughs) Okay, I think it is, What burn be thou in bed with head full of bees? Helen, if you're going to say it, you should have put on a Scottish accent. I have a friend who's very good at Scottish accents. The better thing would be to get him to say it. All right. Because um, he's made a study of it, really. Anyway, so there you go. That's that's the, the earliest phrase, using the head of bees. So what I understand from this is it's an image of someone lying in bed with a head full of bees. That's They're stressing about stuff. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're thinking out a really cool plan, exciting idea that mm-hmm. they've got. They just can't sleep actually quite a bit of um, action in this 16th century for uh, bees in your bonnet. It also appears in the 1556 play Ralph Royster Doister, which was written by our friend Nicholas Udall, who just keeps popping up. Oh, mate, Nick, we can't get enough of him. Yeah, I feel like it, it's meaningful that he just kind of keeps arriving in our lives. We'll yeah. have to maybe make a pilgrimage sometime. Oh, yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do it. We can we can record from, you know, his town or something. Oh, his grave. Right. That's a good one. So actually the earliest use of the specific phrase that we're familiar with, be in the bonnet, is apparently in this guy, Reverend Philip Doddridge's letters, uh, which came out in 1790. And he wrote to a correspondent that a certain Mr. Coward had, as the Scotch call it, this is the quote, a bee in his bonnet. So he's, uh, you know, attributing it to a Scottish origin as well. So this particular origin is contested, but the bonnet we're talking about is actually not a lady's bonnet, Ah. uh, which I was surprised to learn that there are other kinds of bonnets, really. Although I've worn a different kind of bonnet. Uh, You said you told me you'd never had one. Well, I didn't own it. I just had had to wear it. You did say I've never owned one. Very good. Yes. So I have worn uh, a bonnet that's actually probably quite similar to the one that they're describing. So the Scottish bonnet that they're talking about is uh, actually a tamashanta, which you might be more familiar with, which is a... You don't know what a tamashanta is? I am not at all familiar with that. It's not unlike a beret. So like a flat cap made of wool knitted, and usually it has a pom-pom on top. Oh, 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 right. Yeah. That's what the Scottish character whose name temporarily escapes me... Wears on The Simpsons. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, Groundskeeper Willie. Yeah. I'm so familiar it's, through The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. It's a traditional Scottish men's headwear, which was apparently super popular in Scotland between the 16th and 17th centuries. But I also came across the idea that it refers, in fact, to the headgear that you wear when you are tending to bees. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, I mean, big... what protection does that offer? Oh, no, 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 no. Now... it's a different, it's a whole other thing. Like, okay. so that you would wear, like, I guess, you know, a gauzy kind oh. of bonnet. And you would not want to get any bees in there. And you don't, yeah, the point is to not have bees near your face. So, 
that would be a problem. Elsewhere, though, the first instance of the version B in your bonnet in the Oxford English Dictionary is from the wonderful romantic essayist Thomas de Quincey, who you may know as the writer of Confessions of an Opium Eater. He wrote in a piece called Coleridge and Opium Eating in Blackwood's Edinburgh Magazine in 1845 that John Hunter, whoever he is, notwithstanding he had a bee in his bonnet, was really a great man. Okay, so John Hunter maybe was a bit crazy. Yeah, or, you know, a bit obsessive. Mm -hmm. It's not actually clear from this context uh, what the precise meaning that our friend De Quincey had for it, but... I think what's clear from this usage is that it was, you know, assumed knowledge for his readers. So I feel like Twitter is a place where many people would have bees in their bonnets. Oh, they sure do. It is a very common phrase, actually. But the one that I found that I quite like is a new meaning to be in your bonnet. We hear about the swarm that's invaded a car in Hull, and it's a photograph of like just thousands of bees like on the front of someone's car. Oh gosh, that it's sounds amazing. Scary. Yeah, it's not really fun for that person. So there's a literalization of having to be in your bonnet. Um, so does this saying have much of a buzz in popular culture, Helen? <laughs> I found one uh, cool instance, I think. Yeah, I'm going to call it cool. They might be giants. Yes. This is a, so this is an American quirky rock band. They might be giants. They formed in 1982. Apparently they're still going. Uh, but the song is from 1990. I've forgotten all about it. But I think it will be buzzing around in my bonnet for a little while now. <laughs> Helen, do you need to put your thinking cap on to tell me what putting your thinking cap on means? I think it means a special hat that you put on for thinking. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly right, Helen. The Oxford English Dictionary defines it as an imaginary cap, humorously said to be worn in order to facilitate thinking. So the phrase, that's the cap. The phrase is to put your thinking cap on. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the phrase is gendered, Helen? Oh, that's an interesting question. I never really thought about that. I No, I wouldn't use it or have noticed it in a gendered way. Is it? This is maybe a bit of a non-sequitur. Okay. But I was just surprised because the first recorded usage of this expression was in a publication called The Ladies Repository. Nice. Which is also confusing because it was published in 8046. And back in that time, I just feel like women didn't get to do a lot of thinking. Gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, I just, that wasn't what they... Were. No, you're right. It wasn't encouraged uh, in public life. It was not encouraged. Sure. Anyway, so 1846. But there were rumblings. There were rumblings. And this was a, yes, this was a periodical devoted to literature and religion published by the Methodist Episcopal Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh. I mean, what do you think? 1846, does that sound early or late for a saying like this? I mean, that sounds pretty late, actually. I would have expected it to be a bit older. I agree. And so I investigated further. And in fact, what happened? It turns out that before the thinking cap, there was the considering cap. Considering cap. I like that. Yes. I mean, it it has a nicer ring to it, doesn't it? I might just put my considering cap on. (laughs) So considering cap dates back much further, in fact, to the 17th century. Uh, In 1600, a man called Robert Armin, who was an English actor, and he led a troupe that was associated with none other than that well-known playwright, William Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. 
And he, Armin, wrote a book called Fool Upon Fool, which offered advice on how to be a fool. And that was advice that he had collected from many well-known fools of the time. Now, of course, a fool is not a fool in the sense that we think of it today. Back in that time, a fool was a well-known character type in plays, especially in Shakespeare's plays. So think about Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream, for mm-hmm. example. Yep. And The Considering Cap persists actually through to the 19th century and appears in none other than Great Expectations. But hang on. It just appears in Robert Armin's book, This Considering yes, Cap that is, the f- that is the first recorded usage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a fool should put a considering cap on as part of their practice. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I'm not entirely clear you haven't about read that it? context. I haven't, I haven't read the whole book, so I'm not okay. sure. All right. Noted. Okay, so but if it can, if a fool's job is to put on a considering cap, does that mean that if you're a bit dim, you're, it was often recommended that you should, like if you're a bit of a dunce, should you put on a cap? Helen, it's amazing that you should mention the word dunce uh, because, right, yes, dunce's cap is another kind of headgear that is associated with uh, the workings of the brain and the intellect. Mm-hmm. So, let me just take a bit of a sidestep here and explain the origin of a dunce cap. The dunce cap was invented by John Duns Scotus. He was a Scottish Franciscan scholar, and he lived in the late 13th century and wrote a lot about theology, grammar, logic, and metaphysics. I and like that grammar is in there. Yeah. Logic and metaphysics. Well, it's Seems important. appropriate. Yeah. Absolutely. It's one of the fundamental parts of life. And uh, his stuff was actually pretty influential. And he's still quite highly esteemed in the Roman Catholic Church and, in fact, was even made a saint in 1993. Yeah. But, poor guy, his theories and methods were actually largely discredited in the Renaissance. And so that is when the term dunsman or dunce emerged in a pejorative sense, meaning a foolish or dim-witted person. Oh, so it's a little bit like, I don't know if in the future it was like a Helen's hat. Like, oh, Helen. Let's <laughs> demean an idiot. And, so, um, and some have suggested that, in fact, it goes even further than that, that the dunce, even as one of his uh, ideas, was that one should wear uh, a sort of cap to stimulate the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where we get the dunce cap from. So I did actually read once about someone who said that they could only start writing their thesis. Um, there's a whole world out there of um, PhDs, self-help blogs. Their ritual to start writing was to put on a special hat and sit on the floor in their bathroom to start thinking. Like it, it was that they put on a thinking cap and wow. they, they had a special ritual. Or they had a bit of a bee in their bonnet. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of PhD students have bees in their bonnets. Let's <laughs> let's be clear. Is this is in fact true that Duns promoted the idea of a cap to stimulate thinking? Then there's an obvious link there between a thinking cap and a dunce cap, right? Mm-hmm. However, actually, it seems pretty unlikely because dunce cap wasn't actually recorded in writing until 1841, which is after the considering cap, which then became. I mean, my logic's not very good oh, there, Oh, I it? see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Really? I mean, I'm just sort of, there's, there's some links here. Well, and then there's another link in Dickens because, yes, Dickens also used the, the term dunce cap in his novel Old Curiosity Shop. In fact, before he used the considering cap, 
Extraordinary. It is. And maybe he had to put on a special hat and sit in his bathroom floor to start writing. I mean, you just you just never know because they didn't have self-help writing blogs back in Dickens' day. <laughs> no. I mean, I think a lot of those writers have written heaps of stuff about those their strange habits, but maybe he wanted to keep that one to himself. Another person has actually adopted this idea of putting something on your head to help with thinking, and that is Edward de Bono, who is a pop psychologist, and he uh, invented this thing called Edward de Bono's Six Thinking Hats Registered Trademark. <laughs> uh, have, you, have you heard of those, Helen? Yeah, one of my primary school teachers used them, I guess in, in later primary school, which she would get us to do stuff involving the hats. It's interesting because I think he really sells them to corporate clients to Mm, use mm -hmm. to help just streamline meetings. So according to the promotional material, it's a systematic method of thinking in a completely new and different way that provides employees with skills and tools that they can apply immediately and you will see results in days, not months. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, but basically the, the concept behind it is that it's helping you to categorize your thoughts. So it really is something to help you manage them. Uh, it's a critical thinking tool. Yeah. Um, so there's also this very famous um, song that I wanted to play you. It's called Put Your Thinking Cap On. I think we've done enough thinking for one episode. I don't know about you, but I would love to get this cap off. (laughs) Because there's a bee in it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Expressionists. I'm Helen Rydstrand. I'm Olivia Rosenman. And you can get in touch with us. Ask us to look into a phrase that you like or are fascinated by or are disturbed by or you hate. Or you've got to be in your bonnet about it. Or you've just got to be in your bonnet about it. Get in touch. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter. We're at X Podcast. That's E-X Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.